0: So I am very excited. I say that I feel like I say this every week. I'm so excited about who I'm interviewing. But if I wasn't excited about who I was interviewing, I wouldn't have them on the podcast, right? (laughs) This week, I have Erica Cruz. And let me say, we have tried to schedule this interview, I don't know, three or four times. So we're finally here. Erica, how are you?
1: (laughs) I am good. I'm very happy to be here. You are right. We tried to do this in person at We All Grow. We've been trying to schedule this since the summer and it's almost like embarrassing. And then like something had to come up for this week. And I was like, nope, cannot reschedule again. I need some wine and cheese man in my life. So I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm super duper happy that you are able to be here. It makes me really excited because every week you have something going on. So there's a lot of men that we get to, we get to talk about. But even this week, even today, even this week, you've had so many things going on. So but before we get into the chisme, we always start with the wine. So what wine are you drinking today, Erica?
1: Today I am drinking a cab and I can't even tell you the name because it was like the last bottle that I had. It's definitely not my first choice, but I've been drinking good wine lately and I've gone through all my good bottles. So this is a cab from Trader Joe's. I have no idea what brand it is, but I was debating between vino verde, which is like the Portuguese kind of white wine or red wine, but it's, let's see, it's 48 degrees outside. So I went with the red wine. (laughs) Good. What do you I, I, I'm a
0: cab girl. And you know what? Trader Joe's actually has a really good variety of wine that's not going to break your bank. I always tell people like, try Trader Joe's. I actually think because they break it down into regions and everything. And they have, I think they tend to have wines that you're not going to find at like your grocery store either. And they're pretty good. So if you're not sure, go to Trader Joe's. Try something. you don't, you never know if you're going to like it unless you try it. That's what I always say. Exactly. So I am actually doing something very different. I am drinking wine. However, my boyfriend is a bartender slash bar manager, (laughs) and he makes this hot wine called Vinchot. It's like the French version of mulled wine. And because it is so cold, I heated some of that up. And that's what I'm having today because I was like, I need some more. It's like, I call it Christmas in a glass because girl. It's red wine and brandy and some spices and citrus. And it is so good. And he only makes it during like these cold winter months. So he's already like, you only have a little bit left before. And I was like, okay, you're going to make it more. You're going to make it again. So that's what I'm drinking. So it's like a no-name wine Vin show that my boyfriend made.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. So, okay, wait, I have a question for you. So were you already doing this and then you met your boyfriend or did you meet your boyfriend? Like, did you, you two sound like two peas in a pod. How did this happen? Was this planned? Did you both just really like, were you already into wine? How did this happen? I need to know.
0: I was already doing this almost two years into the podcast when we met and okay, this is going to be funny because I guess I've never really talked about how I've met him. So I'll make it short. I went to my parents' house for Thanksgiving 2022, late 2021. I'm already losing tracks of my years. I made dinner because my mom was really tired. She's still been going through chemo and radiation from her second bout of breast cancer. And so my sister, I got into it with my sister a little bit. So I went into the room and I was bored. So I downloaded Bumble. So it wasn't even, and I was just like bored. Wasn't even like that. The next day, I, I think we matched or maybe within a couple of days, we matched, we started messaging on Bumble and Bumble now has, this isn't an ad for Bumble, but if Bumble wants to sponsor me, <laughs> this time I met my boyfriend <laughs> and you can now like do voice memos on Bumble because you have to hear somebody's voice. It's so important. You know this as a podcaster. Yes. Okay. I have actually gone on dates where I met somebody online and like this guy was really, really hot. And then he sounded like Mickey Mouse. He's like, and I was like, oh, it was the biggest turnoff ever. (laughs) So Antonio has a very nice voice. And literally, he was just like, hey, I'm off tomorrow. Do you want to have dinner? And I was like, dinner? What? Oh, my. Oh, no, that's just too much. But I was like, I was going through a really rough time, to be perfectly honest. I was like, all right. And the next day, I kind of had a little bit of a meltdown, like the day of our date. During the day, I kind of just had a little mini breakdown and I almost canceled. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this guy seemed like he was funny. So at the very least, I'll laugh and I'll get dinner. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We went, he took me to this Russian restaurant, this Russian slash Georgian restaurant here in San Diego. We closed down the restaurant. He was like, I'm not ready for this date to end. Do you want to go to the bar next door? And I was like, all right. And we've been together ever since.
1: <laughs> it's Antonio.
0: Is his Antonio. name? Yeah.
1: I just got to have to, like, I have to give props to Antonio for being forward with what he wants. Like I've been dating like this is the first year that I've dated in a really long time, 2022. And it's been such a journey of just like, you would be surprised how many men aren't just like forward with what they want. And we appreciate that so much. So props to him. And I'm glad that he asked you to go to the bar and look at you.
0: Yes, I know. We've we've been together over a year now. And the crazy thing is, is when he told me he was a bartender, I almost like ended the conversation when we were, I was like, oh, and he's like, no. He's like, I've been, this is my career. I've been doing this long time, blah, blah, blah. He like has gone to cocktail competitions, like international cocktail competitions and stuff like that. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll give it a chance. Like he's really adamant. And then on top of that, he was the first one to say like, call me his girlfriend. And I was the one who was like, oh, are you sure? Like, I think you should date other people. And he was like, no, I want like, just to go to your point. He was like, no. I like you. I've gone out with other people. You're the person I like. This is where I want to put my energy. That's it. And I was like, oh my, I just didn't know what to do with that. Like we, I feel like we're, we have this expectation of playing a game. And he was like, I'm not here to play games. I'm too old to play games. I'm not here for that. I'm here to find my person. And I think you could potentially be my person and let's do this. And I was like, oh shit. All right. Okay. Okay.
1: I love this. You're gonna have to bring him on your podcast. He has to be the next guest.
0: I know he will. One one day I don't post much about him. I don't talk much about him. I kind of allude to him, but eventually he will. He will. But salud. I'm I'm, I'm, this is not my little ding. (laughs) (laughs) Ding. There we go. (laughs) Oh God, this is so good. If you've never tried mold wine, have you ever tried mold wine? I have or not show or anything, girl. It is so good. Okay, the French version is on my list. <laughs> yes, I didn't think I was going to like it because I was, you know, being a wine person. I was like, hot wine—that just sounds gross. And then we—is there still alcohol in it? Yes. Okay, because it's not boiled. No, it just—he just simmers, gets it up to a simmer, mm-hmm. and then he puts brandy in it as well. Oh, so it's even stronger. Yeah. Oh, I'm
1: here for it.
0: <laughs> so. Yes, it's so delicious. I'm telling you, it's, he brought it last year. One of our first dates, we went to a boat parade and he brought like a thing of 64 ounces and we drank that whole thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. It was so good. (laughs) Okay, okay, now into, (laughs) let me go ahead and read your bio. Erica Cruz is a coach, speaker and founder of, and actually it's changed since you wrote this because it's not purpose-driven Latina, it's courage-driven Latina. That's right. She helps her community align with their purpose, lead with courage, and find fulfillment. After eight years in the tech industry, Erica created a business by following her passion, all thanks to TikTok. As the proud daughter of Mexican immigrants, Erica is aware of the lack of available resources to her growing up. She's on a mission to connect others with the tools and resources to be the best they can be. Erica has been featured in the New York Times, CNN, LA Times and she is just getting started. I love reading people's bios back to them. You read that so elegantly. I love it. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I just always feel like, because I read their bios back to them so many times and people are like, I've never heard anybody read my bio back to me. Yeah. But I think there's some, there's power in that, right? Because we hear it versus like me recording it and you maybe not hearing it or whatever. I just think that there's power in hearing how we think of ourselves because when i tell me like let me ask you when did you write your bio your own bio i did okay so i wrote my own bio as well and it was really really hard i work in public relations so you would think oh it was super easy anybody else i could write a bio very quickly for me it took forever because it was very hard for me to take myself out and write something Without feeling like I wasn't like I like I wasn't being ostentatious or you know or boastful. How did you feel when you were writing your bio?
1: Well, this is I mean it's been revised so many times. Yeah, I remember just being so in my head about it. It took me forever, and I've slowly added more and more to it. But it's it's so much easier to talk up other people than it is to talk up ourselves. So it's definitely difficult.
0: Yeah. Well, I know we will get into that and I want to get into your speech at We All Grow Latina because it was so powerful. I want to talk about all of the things that you're doing, but growing up, did you grow up in the Bay Area? Because you're a Bay Area baby now, right? I don't know why I said Bay Area, baby. It just went together. (laughs) It does. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yes. I grew up
1: in actually the same city that I live in now. I never thought I would be back. Um, So I grew up in, it's about 45 minutes East of San Francisco. And then when I was getting ready to go off to college, I was debating between UCLA and then I ended up getting into Berkeley. So then I went there. So I've like, I grew up in the Bay area, went to college in the Bay area. And then I worked in tech for eight years. So it's all different parts of the Bay area. They're all like an hour away from one another, Mm -hmm. but I've still been in this area. And I'm, I think like, and here I am getting ahead of myself, but one of the big things for 2023 is definitely it's moving and I haven't decided where, but I'm for sure going somewhere South, whether it's LA or Mexico city, but I'm just like ready to get out. Yeah. I'm appreciative, but
0: ready for the next thing. I think it's always super important. I mean, you've been very fortunate because you have lived other places or not lived, but you've traveled so many other places. Right. But like um, my nephew just recently went to college, his first year of college, and we thought it was important. Now he's in the same state, but he's like five hours south of my sister and his dad. So it was really, I think it's so, so important to kind of get out of your bubble and whether that's by traveling a lot because or actually moving, it just really changes your perspective and and how you engage with people. And it teaches you so much about yourself. So I totally understand that. Yep, so couldn't agree if, more. Yeah, you were, like I said, you grew up in the Bay Area. Your parents are Mexican immigrants. What mm-hmm. brought your parents to not only to California, but to the Bay Area specifically? And how do you feel like they're, reasoning for moving how that affected you and your siblings growing up
1: so my parents my dad i think came to california before my mom but they met in California. So they didn't come together. And my dad had, I think an uncle who lived in this city. I live in Pittsburgh, California. I, if, if I say Pittsburgh, people are like, I know exactly where that is. I'm like, no, you don't, you don't know exactly <laughs> where it is. Um, and my mom, my mom's older brothers, she's the youngest female of 12 siblings. So her older brother's were settled already in Pittsburgh and my parents like randomly met at a dance and then had my brother and then I came along. So I think it's the big immigrant experience is like, where do we already know people and how can we seek the community that's going to help us survive? And yeah. So to the second part of your question, how did that influence me growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I grew up fortunately with a lot of cousins nearby. So, and I'm also really lucky that my cousins are people that I can also consider friends. So, and even actually two of my closest cousins, they're both girls. They've actually gone through courage driven Latina. So they've actually gone through my program. And I think the beautiful thing is we've all been able to really grow together. We all have different careers, but we're all very aligned in that we're into self-development and we're into, we're all the youngest sibling in our family. And we're all kind of like the rebels. And we're all the ones that like, we're the three who don't have like kids yet. So I feel like we were kind of just growing together at some level. And I think the fact that my parents came here where they already had an established community, I actually am very aware of how fortunate I am because I have a lot of friends who grew up in areas where there wasn't a lot of people who looked like them. And that was really challenging.
0: Yeah. I love that your mom is the youngest of 12. My mom is the youngest of 10. And my dad is the middle of 12. Like when people are like, oh, I have a big family. I'm like, no, nah, you don't understand what a big family is. <laughs> yes. Between two of my theos, I have like 22 cousins. Yeah. Wow. I know. That's like, it's great. I'm like, can you, obviously you could not keep it in your pants. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's crazy. I can't even imagine. Do you have any kids? I don't. I have a, okay. I have a fur doll, a fur baby. That's it. Yeah, me
1: too. Me too. I like, can you imagine like being at our age and having X amount of kids? I can't even fathom no. it. I can't.
0: <laughs> My sister just turned 40 in August. She has four boys. And that's considered a really big family these days, like having four it kids. It is. Yeah. And I just no. We I mean we were probably the I had one Theo who didn't have any kids. He had some stepkids, but didn't have any kids of his own. And then I think we were like on the low end with three, right? And I've had a lot of, yeah, it's crazy. And then you go to family reunions and you're like, so-and-so is so-and-so and so. You're always meeting somebody new, right? Somebody else who's gotten, you're like, okay, well, cousin's a cousin's a cousin, whatever. We don't do, I'm sure like most Latinos don't do them. That's my first cousin. That's my second cousin. That's, no, a cousin is a cousin is a cousin. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So growing up and having that support system, going through school- did you go to school with your cousins? Were those your friends growing up? Like, how did you relate to other kids? Like, what was your first? Pers- I was always the chatty Cathy. Shocking. What was your <laughs> what was your kind of personality going through school? You know,
1: you'd be surprised. Uh, I was actually pretty quiet in school, and I think the reason was I, I'm pretty sure that I went undiagnosed. I'm pretty sure I'm dyslexic at some level. Like, I I I think it. There's a spectrum to it. I started to do some research but learning to read was really difficult for me, which was crazy because my English was good. I could speak it well. Spanish was my first language, but so to answer your other question, my cousins lived in a different city, a city over. So we didn't, we never went to school together, but yeah, my brother was in school and he always was really good at math and science and just like very book smart. And, I think that for a long time growing up, I just truly believed that I wasn't intelligent and that I wasn't smart because I had such a difficult time in school. And now that I'm older and I I just kind of realize it just wasn't my learning style, the traditional learning and testing methods that we have in the States, they don't serve every type of learner. But I mean, I'm obviously intelligent or else I wouldn't be running a company the way that I'm running a company and into self-development as much as, as much as I am. But funny enough, I actually remember my favorite days at school were the days when we had motivational speakers come and talk to us. It really like fill me up. And I just never knew that there would be a path for me to get there. And now a big part of what I do is actually speaking. So it's so funny that even as kids, it's like, shows us little hints of who we're about to become. And I was always social. I always had friends. And I think my friends kind of looked at me as a leader. My mom tells me this a lot. She's like, we'd go to like a trip and then you'd come back and be like, look, these are my three friends. And they would just follow you around everywhere you went. So it's like, I know this because of her, but I don't fully remember that. I remember feeling really intimidated at school, in the classroom, when it came to education.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always love when people, when you reflect back on that and realize these glimpses of things, because I always tell people, I was the kid that was like, hi, I'm Jessica. Like new kid would come. Hi, I'm Jessica. Tell me all about you. Like basically the same thing I do now, except now I get to record it, drink wine. and (laughs) Love it. (laughs) You know, but you're so right in regards to the things that we're attracted to when we're younger, give us glimmers. And I think sometimes... We don't allow that glimmer to shine or the people that are around us don't allow that glimmer to shine. Do you feel like looking back now, you were allowed to shine in those things that you were starting to feel? Like you said, you were starting to feel like you felt something during motivational speaker day. I was somebody who loved to read and my parents would always buy me books and this and that. Do you feel like you had that opportunity at all?
1: Yeah. So Well, okay, no, I think my answer is no. I think my parents uh, supported me where they could and where they understood, but they didn't fully understand everything. Like, I'll vividly remember this day where I always had crazy ideas. I always wanted to go start these little businesses and I enjoyed it. I truly enjoyed doing these things. And then I would end up getting in trouble for them. So I'll never forget one day I set up a lemonade stand. And uh, my dad was like, I don't like you doing that because I work really hard for our money. And I don't want you going around essentially like asking for money. And I was like, but I'm not asking for money. I'm working for money. You know, he's like, if I'm already providing for you, there's no reason for you to go and do that. And he would go to work and I knew that he'd get home at like 6 p.m. So one day he went to work and I was like, I'm going to put up my lemonade stand. So I put up my lemonade stand. He gets home at 4 (laughs) p.m. My, my lemonade stands up. And I just like, remember getting grounded and reprimanded. And it was just, I think the message there, like my all, you know, his intentions were all really good. He was just trying to ensure that I was cared for and that I didn't have to do that. But now that I look back, it's like little Erica just wanted to explore entrepreneurship. Like this was always an interest of mine, of mine. And I think what happened was, through me being grounded and reprimanded, it taught me like, that's bad. I can't explore that anymore. And slowly but surely I stopped being so excited about these crazy ideas I had and they would just kind of live in my head. And then I went to college because it was what you do. And then I got a job in tech because it was the job that was gonna pay me the most. And then I ended up being there for eight years. But the whole time that I was in tech, I remember feeling just like, Unfulfilled, but I didn't know what else to do. And now that I'm an entrepreneur, I'm like, wow, like little Erica already knew with her lemonade stands because I got creative with it. I was like selling Arnold Palmer's. I would go deliver. (laughs) Like, I mean, my business had created a lot. I love it. I did. Yeah. (laughs) So I feel as if my parents thought they were being helpful, but sometimes, you know, our parents only know what they know. And like my parents had very little education. I think they had a fourth and fifth grade level education so it's not like they had the tools and resources to be supportive parents
0: that makes sense first of all I understand where your dad's coming from at the same but at the same time I'm like oh I feel so bad for little Erica because it like snuffed her candle I hope that so many of us have those not I don't hope we have those moments but I hope we have the insight To be able to support the children in our life or the young people in our life in a way that maybe we weren't always supported. My parents, like I was somebody who would always have crazy things, and sometimes they would be supportive, sometimes they wouldn't. But I was like, oh, I want to be a cheerleader, okay? Oh, and we didn't have money, so it was always about fundraising. So I didn't have a lemonade stand, but I was always knocking on people's doors. Will you buy this? Will you buy this? Will you buy this? I mean. Now you would never let like an elementary school child just knock on neighborhood doors (laughs) selling stuff by themselves. (laughs) But you know, that's just what it was then. And I'm but I would, you know, I think the talking for me was the biggest thing. Like Jessica's an intelligent girl, but she talks a lot. And now I'm like, and look at what I do for a living, mom and dad. (laughs) Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheesement. Given the purchasing power of the Latina community, let me just tell you, mi gente, we are no longer a sleeping giant. And your dollar, our dollar, is powerful no matter where you go. That's why I'm excited to share that in conjunction with Galena Collective, we have launched a pozole and wine pairing guide. You might think, what? That's interesting. Or What? That's weird or what? Heck no, no way. But you know what? We all like to enjoy different things. This truly only featured Latin own wine brands have worked really, really hard to provide wines that go with so many of our foods. So if you've even considered trying tamales and wine, or you've even considered trying pozole and wine, head over to the wine and Chisme podcast.com, click on media, and there you will find the various resources to pair your wine. So, going into high school before, like when you're in high school, did you find anything because you feel like your entrepreneurial spirit had kind of been crushed a little bit as a child? Was there anything that you fell in love with or that you felt like maybe there was something in high school that started getting whatever juices flowing, whether it was an entrepreneurial thing, or did you just kind of always feel like, I'm ready to get out? I'm ready to discover something else. Like what was that journey like for you?
1: When I was in high school, I got into acting. That was the one thing I really liked doing. I was in plays. I took acting classes and it's not like I was, I wouldn't say I was like the best actress, but now I'm like, Oh, this totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Where even in just like my videos, being able to talk to the camera comfortably or, Do voiceovers. That's definitely, I think something that stemmed from that interest. And I think the truth is I always wanted to be when I was younger, the one thing I knew, because I fully didn't know what an entrepreneur was when I was younger. Now that I look back, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But the one thing I would say is I want to be like a famous actress. That was the thing I used to say when I was a kid, because it was the only thing I could see through novelas and things like that. And I never wanted to be on novelas. I always wanted to be on, like, I actually always wanted to do commercials or I always wanted to do like be in movies, but novelas were a little too extreme for me. I was like, I can't, I can't with that drama. Like it has to feel realistic. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So in high school, that's like when I got into acting and I think I just like found a good community there. And then once I went to college, I I was actually, when I was in high school, that's when my parents got a divorce. So then it's like, we, our financial situation changed a lot. And then I started working. So then I couldn't fully do acting as much anymore. I couldn't play soccer anymore. And all my spare time was more focused on work. What was your first job? My first job was working at Radio Shack. Do you remember Radio Shack? Yes, I remember Radio Shack. Yeah, I started working there at like 15. Oh Selling my gosh. Selling phones, batteries, cables, like all the electrical stuff. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, I remember when they would come out with like their holiday stuff, all of the crazy things they would come out with, yep. with uh, during the holidays. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Because obviously you've had this thing in you where you knew that you wanted to do something different. Mm-hmm. Was that more of a survival? Cause I know you said your financial situation changed at home. Was that more of a survival or was, did that help plant the seed for eventually going into tech?
1: I went into tech by accident. Literally they were doing like free food, You know, you know how it is when you're in school, it was like free food. And they were doing a little information session about like going to go work at Oracle, which was the first company I worked for. And they were like, if you have sales experience, that's a plus. And I was like, perfect. Like I radio shack was sales, Mac cosmetics was sales because I worked there too. When I was in college, I was like, yeah, I've, I've literally had sales retail jobs my whole life since I started working. And at that point it was almost like eight years Cause I was like, yeah, I was in my early twenties. So yeah, I applied and I ended up getting, getting hired. But I think to answer the first part of that question of like, I, did I always kind of know that I wanted more? I think I always knew that I was different. And I think I always secretly had big dreams for myself, but it wasn't something that I would always share. I remember actually telling my mom, I'm going to write a book one day. And she just would, and she still tells me this to this day. She's like, you used to tell me that you were going to write a book and I just like thought you were crazy. And I would just like tell you, ¿Cómo vas hacer eso? like, how are you going to do that? And, you know, it's just a lot of times. And this is something I see with my clients a lot. My clients have these dreams and then they share their dreams with loved ones who care a lot about them, but their loved ones can't see how that would even be possible. So they don't validate the dreams. What they actually do is literally rain on their parade and then my clients feel stupid for even having these dreams. And I think that's also something that perhaps happened. But I think secretly I always knew that I was meant for more. I just didn't know what it was. And I hear this a lot from my clients as well. I think a lot of us feel this way.
0: Yeah. I almost think one of the smartest things to do is to not I or maybe and you could totally disagree with me, but when you have those big dreams, don't tell the people closest to you because they're the ones who can't they When people are too close to you, they can't see your vision. They just see how you've grown up. They just see their limitations for you, right? Exactly. And then they tend to put their limitations onto us without realizing that they're kind of crushing our spirit somehow.
1: Yeah. I think a good filter to know, should I share this or not is... Am I sharing this because I want to share it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to like ask for support along the way, then share it. But if you're sharing it because the you're saying I'm I'm kind of doubting myself and I need the validation from this person, that's unfair. Like don't expect the other people to be able to validate you. Because if I mean my mom could come up to me and, and tell me something and I could crush her dreams too, just because I don't get it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like unless somebody's living the exact life you want to live then it's not their responsibility or sorry, they're not going to be able to validate you, but we can validate ourselves. So I think if you're sharing because you want validation, don't share at all. If you're sharing because you're like, all right, I'm going to do this. And like, I just need people to be here for me. And you tell them, Hey, I'm going to do this. I just need your support. That's different. So that would probably be the question I'd have people ask themselves before they decide what they want to do. But I think that's a good rule of thumb because then we also get offended of like, oh, that person doesn't care. And like, we make up these stories if somebody doesn't validate us.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, the people closest to me, my parents have never listened to an episode of the podcast. They have no idea what I, what I talk about. They have no idea. Like actually literally three minutes before we started, my mom FaceTimed me. And she sees me with my head. So she's like, oh, are you doing a podcast? And I said, yeah. She's like, oh, okay, I'll call you back. And I was like, well, you know, is there something you need? Like, and she just wanted to talk about the holiday stuff, but she knows I do it. They're proud of me because now I've monetized, right? They're like, oh, she can show something for it. But my sisters have never listened to it. My parents have not, I don't think anybody in my family has. The people honestly closest to me, have never probably listened to an episode.
1: Yeah. And so let me ask you this, is your podcast for them?
0: No. So it doesn't matter to me. right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and actually not just them, but I think because of who I know I want, because it's very specifically about amplifying voices across communities of color. I know that my podcast is not for everybody. And at first, I was so like, I want everybody to hear it. I want everybody. And then I had to come to terms with, wait, this is not for everybody. And I need to be okay with that. This is a very niche market. Who are my listeners? But my listeners are very, very loyal and they are growing and they are loyal. But that to me is way more important than having like a million listeners because the people that do listen are the people who continue to Get value from what I'm doing. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's such an important realization. I think at the beginning of starting everything, we want to serve everyone. It's almost like the people pleaser in us comes out when we're trying to market something because we're like, I don't want to say anything to disappoint anyone. But like, if you are talking to everybody, then you're talking to nobody.
0: Exactly. That's why I say if you're trying to please everybody, it's never going to happen. Like, exactly. You're trying to please one hundred percent of the people. Well, you're actually disappointing one hundred percent of the people because you're never serving the people that you actually need to serve. Yep. Okay. So now I want to actually touch on something. What, you're, what you talked about during your "We All Grow" speech, because during your your our storytellers, because the theme of it was saying no, and you were just, we were just talking about pe- people pleasing. So I think it's perfect segue into that. Yeah. And you were really talking about how you were ready to find your person. You were ready. You're in college. You're like, okay, it's time to meet this person. You meet this man who you think is wonderful. You see him, right? I think you see him, and you're like, that's the one. You end up with him. You date. You're going through all of these things, and it comes to a point where he's asked you to marry. He's asked you to marry him. And you had so much hesitation, but you still said yes. Can you walk us through like what? I know you may not know like the exact hesitation, but sometimes it's like you just sometimes know it's not right. And how hard was that to say no? When you were like you at the beginning, you're like, that's the guy I want. And you're manifesting all of this stuff. But when it comes down to that point, you just couldn't move forward.
1: So the question is, how did I?
0: I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Oh, uh, no, no, <laughs> I know. I tend to do this. I, I, I followed like, no, along, do do but then I
1: got. I was like, wait, which which part oh, am I okay. answering? Yes.
0: So can you walk us through that point when you're like, when you figure out it's time to say no, and how hard that can sometimes be when you gotcha. think every you're getting everything that you thought you wanted.
1: Yes. Yeah. So this actually happens a lot where we manifest something to then realize we actually don't want it. <laughs> and then, and then it's so hard to, to go back on it because we're like, I literally said I wanted this and now I feel ungrateful for it. So I think the, the reason behind even saying yes in the first place, cause I think a lot of people will look at the situation and be like, wait, why would, why didn't you just say no from the beginning? If like, it wasn't what you wanted. I think between people pleasing, not wanting to hurt somebody's feelings, actually caring about them a lot as a person and loving them as an individual family expectations. And then really not knowing the difference of like what it should feel like you question yourself a lot. So it's not so much like a black and white, like yes or no, it was really muddy for me. Like I was very much in my head at this point, geez, this was like seven years ago. So I wasn't, practicing meditation. I wasn't fully in touch with my intuition. I was just checking off the boxes, go to school, get a job, get promoted, start traveling, find someone, get married. You know, it was just like, I was literally checking off the boxes. So I said yes, because we were on a trip and I felt cornered and I felt unsafe to say no, because I wasn't fully even convinced that I wanted to say no. I wasn't sure because it wasn't all bad. And it's never all bad. You know, whenever we find ourselves in situations, there's always something positive to find. And we always hear, be grateful for what you have, be grateful for the sacrifices your parents made. So that's why I said, yes, I felt very conflicted though. And I think now I'm very clear at like, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. But at that time I didn't know that. So I went back and forth with making pros and cons lists of like, why I should get married, why I shouldn't get married. Let me just tell you, if you're making lists, like, don't do it because I wouldn't want somebody, I wouldn't want my partner to go and make a list as to whether or not they want to be with me. Right. Because that would be hurtful. Exactly. Yeah. And I think what eventually led me to the decision was you know, our physical body, what I've learned through therapy and through coaching and through my own lived experiences, and actually research shows this as well. Our, our body, our physical body knows what our intuition is saying before our brain does. So to really be able to listen to our physical body. And I actually remember after I said, yes, I didn't sleep for three nights. And it was just those really basic things where my nervous system wasn't regulated. I was anxious all the time. I was losing focus at work. I couldn't get myself to plan the wedding. And all of these things really made me pay attention to like something's going on here. And it wasn't until I spoke to one of my mentors and he just straight up asked me, he said, is this the the person you want to raise your kids with? And I just... Said no. And he was like, So then why would you commit to spending your life with someone if you know you want kids and you know you don't want kids with this person? Ooh. And it was just like, duh, like, of course. So that conversation was really helpful. And then I, again, still wasn't really sleeping well. And I finally, one day, just like, I I was probably getting, honestly, I was probably getting close to my period. So where I couldn't take it anymore, I kept suppressing my thoughts and my feelings and what my intuition was trying to tell me. And then finally, that's when I told him. And it was one of the most difficult conversations to have, because again, I still cared about this person. It wasn't like I didn't care about him. We lived together. We had been together for two and a half years. We had traveled the world together. There was a lot of great things. We had a great friendship. This just wasn't something that I saw long-term. But I think what really like hit the nail on the head for me was if I don't want kids with this person and I know that he's ready for kids now, it's a disservice for me to stay here because I'm taking away from his happiness that he could have with someone else. And I think that's what helped me make, cause I was willing to put myself through pain. Isn't that crazy? Like we put ourselves through so much stuff because I was like, I, I logically knew I was also preventing myself from meeting my person by being in that situation. But it wasn't until I was like, how unfair is it for him that I'm over here making these lists that I'm over here, like not really able to plan this wedding when he deserves to be with somebody who loves him. And if that's not going to be me, may I get out of the way so somebody else can do that? And that was like the cherry on top. That's what allowed me to pull the trigger.
0: You had to put him first in order to let him go. Yeah. You wouldn't even, you didn't even put yourself first. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) I mean, it is, but how many, like you said, how often do we do that? Like we're constantly putting, not just as women, but as Latinas that we're constantly, because- Yep. I feel like that's what we've grown up to do, right? Putting everybody else, you see, i have we see our moms putting our tías, our abuelas, like putting everybody else first and they take a plate last, right? They exactly. do everything last. Like, and it just, whether it's said or not, it's implied. And then that gets kind of filtered down through the generations. Exactly. Oh yeah.
1: And now I've learned that. You know, like one of the most selfless things you could do is to be selfish because I could have easily said, you know, I don't want to hurt him. So I'm going to stay in the situation so I don't hurt him. But the truth is, in the end, I was just going to hurt him more.
0: If I yeah. could you imagine if we got married and like maybe had kids and then I broke it off anytime I've dated somebody or any I, I would I always would say I would rather hurt a little now than a lot later. Yeah, because you can get over it but I would rather get over it, like not be so involved and so in love with somebody that it's truly breaking my heart versus being like, well, yeah, this sucks, but I'll get over it type of thing. First of all, that was so brave of you to share that because that those kinds of stories and you get, you went way more in depth in it and we don't need to get in depth in it because I just think the the cornerstone of that lesson learned is really what I wanted to kind of get at. But To be able to stand in front of that many people to share something that's so personal is not easy, regardless of your background, regardless of your, you know, regardless of being in theater, whatever, being able to share something so personal, saying no to something, to be able to say yes to yourself, which is what the whole theme was, Mm -hmm. it was very, very powerful. So I want to thank you for sharing that in the way that you did and being able to kind of use that as a touchstone in this interview as well thank you
1: it was (laughs) I was scared I was terrified because I became a speaker during the pandemic so I was always behind the zoom camera Mm -hmm. but suddenly I'm in person on stage with the lights on me and I think like 600 people I mean there wasn't 600 people but there were 600 attendees at the at the event and then to share the story yeah I felt very vulnerable but I think the we all grow community is just so supportive it was like the best place to share something like that.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about your time in tech. I want to kind of just, I know you said you accidentally got in tech, but really what I want to kind of touch on is being a Latina in tech. And something that we haven't touched on at all is, has being Latina, have you ever felt like othered? And then especially being a Latina in tech for those years, did you ever feel like you had to be the representation for the entire, you know, like your whole Latinidad was being judged? Yeah,
1: yes, definitely. Um, I I think the fact that I was a woman in tech was already difficult, but then add being Latina and then add being young and inexperienced, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Um, I think a lot of times to be even more honest, I think a lot of times I othered myself too, because I saw no one that looked like me. That I almost, not that I isolated myself, but I didn't know what these people knew that were around me. Like when I got hired at Oracle, a lot of the people I got hired with, their parents were like CEOs of companies. And I'm like, okay, my parents literally are Mexican immigrants with like no education. And they've managed to like make a good living for themselves. And they're both entrepreneurs, but they're like labor entrepreneurs. My mom cleans houses and my dad does yard work. So it's like very humble, humble work. And I think I was just exposed to like rich kids that I wasn't ever really exposed to when I started to work in tech. And then I ended up, you know, at Berkeley there, it was not, not that I was segregated, but I hung out with a lot of Latinos at Berkeley and Mm -hmm. most of them were first gen like myself. Yeah. Yeah, And in my major, I do remember meeting people who were obviously a little bit more like privileged, but they, we just would have class together and we wouldn't hang out outside of class, but I think with work we'd all hang out after work or we'd go party on the weekends and we were all part of this like training program for three months before we even began working, so it was like an extension of college and then like I mean we're talking kids from the East Coast that got their cars shipped out and like not just any cars, nice cars so that they have their cars like in the west coast and it was it was a whole thing, and I was like, damn, I'm just like trying to make enough money to like pay off my loans like <laughs> and that was the the first company i worked at which was a large company but when i when i went to startups i think they kind of saw my skills and embraced my skills but then i just became like the girl who did demos the girl who talked to clients the girl that went to conferences and stood at the booth like i think i was almost a little bit hypersexualized like i was just you're going to be the customer facing person and then i would ask to learn about different things and like it was never fully supported like oh no you're just the person that's going to talk to people So that's kind of how I felt othered. Um, But then I think that the more I got into tech, the more I realized, you know what? Yeah. The fact I could talk to people is a big strength because I work with all these engineers who literally have no social skills. Oh, and guess what? I also speak Spanish and I speak English. There's a whole market in Latin America that I get to dominate. And when I really like leaned into those strengths, I ended up going to Spain two or three times, I went to Mexico City twice to go work with banks. I translated our, our demos into Spanish. I would do all the demos in Spanish and in English. I ended up traveling the world with these companies. So in the end, it like really did work out. But uh, I the reality was I was never going to be given a real leadership opportunity. Like I hit, I hit a ceiling pretty quick. And that's why I think I felt so unfulfilled and was looking to do something on my own.
0: Is that what pushed you into creating your own business and so how did how did you make that transition what was that moment cuz i know you said one of the things that kind of pushed you into that was tiktok so please yeah. share more
1: <laughs> yes so my first year in tech i already realized that i was missing something creative mind you so far when i was in college i worked at mac cosmetics so i was literally doing makeup all day playing makeup and it was creative it was using my hands and then suddenly i'm literally in a cubicle With all these like white older men, there were some people that were young that were hired with me. But as I I moved to different companies, everyone was much older and either Indian or white or Asian, like they were Chinese. So by my first year, I realized really quickly, I need something a little bit more creative. And I had really gotten into fitness my last year of college. And even when I had started working in tech, exercise became an outlet for me. And I loved food as well, but because I was exercising so much, I was like, well, I want to eat well as well. So I ended up really getting into following food blogs and I actually started an Instagram page all about food. So I'd leave tech and I'd go home. And so content creation was actually something I started doing years ago, but I never made any money from the food blog eventually by... I mean, I wasn't very consistent with it for the first couple of years. Eventually I bought the domain of the nutty oven.com, which now is not my domain anymore. I, I finally let it go, but I purchased it, created a blog, would write blog posts, would share recipes, never made a dollar. But from there, I kind of felt like I had outgrown food, not that I didn't like food. I still loved food, but it was no longer that exciting. It started to feel like work. That's what happened. So then at that point I had really gotten into taking yoga classes and yoga really got me into mindfulness and meditation. But then whenever I started, I became a yoga teacher. So I went to yoga teacher training and then I started to create content on my Instagram. My username became Salud with Erica, which It was a double meaning because salud means cheers, right? But it also means health. So I was like, this is perfect. And I still love that name so much. I actually considered making it my podcast name, but I talk about two, like it's it's never just focused on like on that. Anyway, so. Fast forward, I had that page and I still hadn't made any money, but I was still working in tech this whole time. But then I started to share yoga things that I was learning in yoga teacher training, and then I began this series called Mindful Monday. So every Monday I would share a video or a guided visualization or something like that all about mindfulness. And then my I graduated from yoga teacher training in 2019 at the end of 2019. And then I was like, cool, I'm going to go like open up a yoga studio and that's going to be my exit out of tech. And then the pandemic happened and all the yoga studios closed. And I was like, this is not what I want to do. Not yoga. I still love yoga, but I don't want to go open a studio anymore. And when it came to content, I was already showing up on TikTok and I was doing like random food videos to still see if the food blog was going to work. And I was also doing yoga And none of it was really picking up until one day I just like grabbed my phone and talked to the camera about, I think it was something I had learned in yoga teacher training. I think I talked about like non-attachment or being in the, I don't know exactly what I talked about, but it was more of like self-development focused. And that video did so well that I ended up with like from no followers to 12,000 followers. And then. I kept posting and I think there just wasn't that many people on the app yet. And because, and I remember people totally laughed at me because they were like, Oh my gosh, TikToks for kids. Like people are just dancing on there. And I'm like, I haven't done any dancing, but then it went from 12,000 followers to 25,000 followers. And then from 25 to 40,000 and I, it was all about self-help. So it's so funny how like each thing led me kind of to the other and it was, and they all still have played a role in my life. And even tech, like all that time I worked in tech, there's no way that I'd be running a business the way that I'm running it now, if it wasn't for all that time in tech. And then I had different roles in tech. I worked in marketing. I worked in sales. I worked in partnerships. I worked in product. And then I went back to marketing. So I had this holistic view of how a business worked without even knowing it. And I remember when I was in tech, I would complain to like my mentors like, oh, I've I know a little bit about everything. And I know a lot about nothing. Like, what am I ever going to do? And now I'm like, Oh, I'm so great. Master of none. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And now I'm like, no, it totally makes sense. I know enough about these things to run this business. Like now I know, but you know, usually we can't tell in the moment, we just feel like we're wasting time and just stressed out about everything. So yeah, I started to create all this content on TikTok and then People really liked my stuff and they were super engaged. And at this point we were all in lockdown. So all I had all the time in the world to go create content. I was working from home. I wasn't commuting. I was just creating content, working, creating content, working. I would post two to three videos a day. And then people were asking me for workshops. So I ended up hosting a workshop on imposter syndrome. And then I hosted another workshop on motivation, like how to stay motivated during the pandemic. I had no idea what I was doing. I had never hosted a workshop before. I don't even think I had attended a workshop before, but in one of those workshops, somebody was like, Hey, do you offer one-on-one coaching? And I was like, what's one-on-one coaching. So I literally went to go Google it. Cause I didn't even know what it was. And that's how my business started. And then I joined a group coaching program where I was a student. And once I saw what coaching actually was, I was like, hell yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. So when I was a student in that group coaching program, I created Purpose Driven Latina, now Courage Driven Latina. And yeah, that was my whole focus.
0: Did you feel like you had imposter syndrome as you were talking about imposter syndrome? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I had imposter syndrome my
1: whole tech career. Even now, like I had imposter syndrome when I was at the We All Grow Summit.
0: I understand. I got invited to this Spotify workshop. So I accidentally proposed another podcast. (laughs) Love it. And so I got accepted into the Spotify workshop. It was just like this eight work workshop and everything. And I felt the same way. I mean, and I'm the one who has probably the most podcast experience out of the people that were there outside of the mentors. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Like, nobody's gonna, like, they're gonna think I'm an idiot for proposing what I'm proposing. And I, yeah, I mean, I think, in, and I work in politics. So I, this is the first job I've ever had in politics. So I feel like I'm constantly have imposter syndrome when they're asking me to write talking points. I'm like, I'm not a policy person. What the? What are the biggest things that you see when people have imposter syndrome in regards to being able to? Because I don't think, I don't know if it ever goes away, but there's a way that we can subside it a lot easier and really step into our power. What do you recommend for people that are trying to get past that?
1: Yeah, so I take my clients through something called the self-coaching model. It's created by Brooke Castillo. She's the founder of the Life Coach School. It's a really, really good tool. And the reason I use it is because it's a simple framework, but you don't have to follow that. You can simply just, The way that I look at imposter syndrome is the first point I would make is that anything new is going to be scary. We're not going to be confident at something that we've never done before. So understanding that it's normal to feel fear when you're in a place that's unfamiliar and stepping out of our comfort zone is very unfamiliar. That's why it's not our comfort zone anymore, right? So what I would say, if you find yourself in this place where you're like, I'm feeling a lot of self-doubt, I'm feeling like I'm not good enough. The first thing I would say is what is this self-doubt trying to tell you? Because a lot of times, let's say that you have an exam coming up and you haven't studied for that and you're feeling self-doubt. Well, like, yeah, you didn't study. Right. So like a lot of times it can also be just a good, it could be good information for us. Okay. I want to improve on that. So for me, when I was backstage of we all grow and I was over there freaking out, I was like, okay, I really need to prioritize like breath work and come up with a ritual before I go on stage. So that I'm calmer the next time I go up. So I wasn't making it mean, oh, I don't belong here. I was making it mean like, what is this teaching me? Okay. This is something, an opportunity for improvement. So I think first it's It's like being able to say, okay, how does it make sense that I feel this? Well, like, yeah, I haven't fully studied for this exam. Or like, I haven't spoken in front of 600 people before. Of course, I'm going to be nervous. This is normal. And then like, okay, what can I do to like make this better the next time? And then last but not least, when you're having these, usually our self-doubt, there's like a reoccurring thought in our minds. Like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough, blah, blah, blah. Whatever that thought is, identify what it is. And then ask yourself, is this actually true? So we'll use my We All Grow speech as an example. I'm backstage sitting there feeling like, should I have been one of the six people selected to tell a story? Am I good enough for this? Are people going to like me? So the idea, maybe my thought was, I'm not good enough to speak in front of 600 people. Even just asking yourself, is that true? Well, no, it's not true. I can't prove that it's true. So just challenging that self-doubt and questioning it, and it's like, okay, well, if that's not true, what what is true? And finding a thought that feels better. So, and the, the self coaching model helps you do that. So, if anybody's interested in looking it up, so then maybe my my thought could become, if I wasn't supposed to be on this stage, I wouldn't have been selected. So, like, I belong here, or I wouldn't have been selected. And it's okay to show up imperfectly because I'm human. And I'm only going to get better and better at this. So notice, I'm not telling you I'm the best speaker in the world because I don't believe that. And I think sometimes we try to tell ourselves affirmations, but if you don't believe those affirmations, you're going to end up right back to where your belief is. But I could believe, hey, they chose me for a reason. I went through a lot of different rounds to be selected for this, or I could believe this is like not the last time I'm going to speak on stage and I'm only going to get better and better. This is an opportunity for growth. This is an opportunity for me to connect with people. And actually the way that I ended up navigating self-doubt there is I really asked myself, what's the point of me telling this story? And the point of me telling this story was to have my message land with people. And it wasn't about me showing up as perfect. And I, once I kind of thought about it from that place of when I go on stage, I get to tell people a story that could possibly change their life. And that became my focus. Everything else felt okay. Because if I'm focused on my own self-doubt, I'm going to get in my way. But if I'm up there doing exactly what I want to do, which is share my message with other people and hopefully give them a positive impact in their lives. That's what actually matters, not my own self-doubt. So it's like, what matters more? Like what I'm here to do or me being afraid right now? Because the the scary part is literally walking up on the stage. Once you're there, you're there. It's kind of like jumping off a cliff. Once you've jumped, you've jumped. The hard part is jumping.
0: Yes, because staring out there, you're like, holy crap. But once you've done it, that's it. That's all you can do. You've been in the New York Times. It's called you quit, I quit, we all quit. And it's not a coincidence. I feel like you scream, ice cream, we all scream for ice cream. <laughs> when I read that, you've been in Telemundo, you've been in the LA Times, CNN, Fox 11 LA, QuickBooks. You've really gotten collaborations between Chevy Nationwide, Intuit, Capital One, like all of these things. And you had in speaking engagements, TikTok partners and everything. What do you think it has been about your message in particular? Because I think people are like, oh my gosh, a coach, coach, coach. We're all coaches. Everybody's a coach, 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 coach. But I think that there's sometimes people who just resonate in a way that people are very drawn to them. What do yeah. you think it is about how you go through with your clients that makes people resonate with you and that make people drawn to you?
1: Yeah, I think at the core, everyone believes they're meant for more and they're just afraid of it. And I think what I help people with is I help them take action on really scary stuff, whether that's starting a business, starting a podcast, going to therapy, starting to date after a divorce, whatever it is that they're looking to do. My main focus is helping them lead with courage and courage. Doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courage means you're afraid, but you still do it. Courage means you're looking over that cliff and you're shaking and you still jump. Courage is getting on that stage, even though your knees are trembling Courage is asking for what you need in a relationship, even if you're scared that the other person might leave. So that's, I think, at the core of what we all, we all want to be courageous and it's not that easy to be courageous. And I think with my story, it's, I think the fact I've shared so much about my story in a way that allows people to see me as human. Like I never try to come off as perfect. I have a podcast. It's like one of my favorite podcast episodes, how to forgive yourself for mistakes, where I literally share all my mess ups, all my recent mess ups and how, you know, it's really important for us to forgive ourselves for them. So I think what's really resonated with not just my clients, but even brands is I show up and I share and I share in a very authentic way. And the things that I help people with or the things that I talk about, resonate with almost anyone because we're all human. We all are subject to people pleasing. We're all subject to family expectations. We are all trying to navigate what we want versus what we are told we should want. And I think at the core, this is all things that we as humans struggle with. We all have self-doubt because our brain is wired to keep us safe, which means we fear things. If we hear a noise in the bushes, we're not like, oh, a unicorn. It's like, shit, is that a lion? You know, like our, our brain immediately goes there because... It wasn't that long ago that we were out in the wilderness just trying to survive and our brain is still wired that way. So I think the reason that my story has been picked up by so many places and so many clients are drawn to me is because my story is relatable. It's authentically shared. And I'm talking about things that are relevant to all humans. So I I think it would be those three things. And then lastly, I'm showing up, right? You know how we hear like, calladita mas bonita? That's complete bullshit. Because if I was calladita, I'd still be working in tech. I'd be somewhere completely different. And uh, I actually did like a training for McDonald's
0: earlier today. I know, congratulations. I was going to bring that up. That's so awesome. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it was actually an imposter syndrome, like mindset training for all of the managers. And I didn't realize like, until I did a restaurant tour, how difficult it is to be a manager because... You start off as a damn worker and suddenly you're, you're managing all these people and then you're managing like customer complaints. And like, I don't know, McDonald's customers be crazy. So I don't know how they do it. <laughs> but what I will say is that, geez, where was I going with this about McDonald's? Oh, um, the last thing that I'd say is like why I think people have found me it's through TikTok. And I'm not even that active anymore, but McDonald's found me through TikTok. I asked them, I was like, how did you find me by the way? And then Harvard also found me through TikTok. They had me do mindfulness, different things like meditations for their first gen group opportunities I would have never thought could come my way. But I think there's just something so special about growing your personal brand because you never know who's watching and you never yeah. know who's going to like end up coming to. Yeah. You, you
0: never know. I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning, very quickly, that you said you've had a couple of cousins go through your program. Yeah. How is that going through the program with your cousins? And now what does your mom think now that you've gone through all of these things, you are where you are, you are, you know, you make over six figures in your business. You're the CEO of your business that you're truly doing all of these things. One, how was it <laughs> doing that with your cousins? Was that difficult thing to do, because I feel like when you're so close to people, it can sometimes be hard to navigate those waters. And to now, what does your mom think of all of the things that you've been doing?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's so funny when I thought about this program, I was like, who's the ideal person for this? And I was like, well, old Erica is the ideal person for this. The one that was debating whether or not to call off the engagement is the perfect person for this. The person who was navigating tech as a Latina is the perfect person for this. But so is my cousin, Brenda. And so is my cousin, Vanessa, because I see their potential and I see how amazing they are. And they're just playing small. And I remember like these were my ideal clients. And then they didn't join the first round. They didn't join the second round. They joined the third round and the seventh round. Right. So like sometimes like we make something because we're like, oh, this would be the perfect person for it. Or we want that validation from the people closest to us. That validation is going to come, but you have to validate yourself first. And you sometimes have to validate with other people first before the other people can come around. So I'll finish the answer about the the cousins. So when they actually joined, I think the fact that it's a group program and it's very focused on community makes it easy because it's not just me and them. It's me, them, and all these amazing women that they get to meet. And I think that's really cool that they get to socialize with other women. And at this point, I've gone through the curriculum so many times; I know what works and what doesn't. So I'm pretty confident in it as well. And that doesn't mean I don't call these same cousins and I'm like, "Hey, I'm freaking out!" Like, uh, I told this person I would meet them for dinner, and I don't know if I want to go anymore. And, you know, and like, so I go yeah. to them for coaching too, just because it doesn't change our personal relationship. So I think the way that I've really navigated that is like, unless we're in the Zoom room with all the rest of the girls, we're cousins. And like, if we're texting, we're cousins, but if we're talking on Slack, where the community is, I'm your coach. And I think those boundaries are really helpful. Got it. Yeah. And then as far as my mom goes, when I told her I was going to leave tech, she was like, literally thought I was insane. She was like, we immigrated to this country for you to have a stable job. And you're literally like, you, you made it to the top and you're walking away from it. And yeah, now I think it took her seeing me on the Spanish news stations to really get like what a big deal it was. And I, you know, I would tell her like, I'm making some money and she knew that I was making money, but I don't think she realized how abundant entrepreneurship can actually be. But this year I haven't fully done the math yet, but I'm like over three times my salary in tech and revenue from my business. That's not all profit. <laughs> I have yeah. a lot of expenses now because I have people who help me, which is like great. I wouldn't change that for the world. And then also, like now, running uh, my lifestyle has just completely changed. Like I get to run my business from Mexico and from Portugal and from all these like really, really cool places. And my business know, for all I've of it. I've been
0: watching from social. I'm
1: like, <sighs> <sighs> nice. Yeah. So now she doesn't. I don't think she fully gets exactly what I do. Like she knows I help women but uh she trusts me now. So now if I come to her with some crazy idea, she's like, "Okay, I trust you." At the beginning, it was just like so foreign that she didn't fully trust me. Actually, one of my cousins left a job, one of the cousins that went through the program left her job and when she was telling her parents that she was going to leave her job, she was like, "I'm going to do something similar to Erica." And they were like, "Oh yeah, go for it." And she was like, she came to talk to me. She's like, I don't think that my parents would have been that cool unless they saw your journey. Like the fact that they've seen your journey and it's like, when you're the first one, it's always going to be the hardest, but leaders go first and we pave the way and it's not easy. Like there's no, there's literally no roadmap laid out for you if you're the first one, but you're laying that roadmap for other people. And how beautiful is that?
0: Yeah. I want to be mindful of your time. And I always like to give people a opportunity to share anything that maybe I've not asked or maybe. Just one final words, anything that you want to share?
1: I think I'll just share an update as to where I am right now in my business. Like today on this day, you know, we're, we're approaching the holidays soon at the time of this being recorded. And I'm super grateful this week. uh, I did that training for McDonald's. I'm like, I really liked doing that. I was like, I think I want to do more trainings for, for corporations because It's fun. You get to connect with like a lot of people. It's kind of like one and done. And then I was also uh, interviewed for a show on LA TV this week and I was in LA half of the week and now I'm in the Bay. And, you know, I think from the outside looking in, it looks very luxurious. And again, I'm super, super grateful for it. But I think the, what I want to share is that it's, okay to, to feel super grateful for what you have and still be overwhelmed and feel like your cup needs to be full. And I think that that's exactly where I am right now, where I'm recognizing I've probably overextended myself a little bit too much. And now I'm really just like doing a little bit of damage control of where can I find a little break because we're still human at the end of the day, you know? And I think like, I'm just trying to find that balance between how do I get things done, but also make space For myself, and I I just feel like that's important to share because, as you see somebody running a business, again, it looks like all fun and games, and it it is fun, but it can also feel exhausting. Like I was messaging a friend on Tuesday on my way to the TV station when I was going to do this interview and I like was fighting back tears. And I was like, why am I crying? Why am I feeling sad right now? Like I should be so happy. And then I started shaming myself about it. And it's like this unhelpful cycle. And then I really just looked at my calendar and I was like, Erica, you've had so much on your plate. You've literally like not had a break and it's okay. So I think the, the message there is we are humans before we are anything else. And unless you are healthy and okay, nothing else matters, right? Like, I could go be a millionaire, but like, if I get the news that like my mom's been diagnosed with something the way that you have, like, that doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing matters more than our well being. And that's one of the things that I'm at the moment really prioritizing.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And girl, you need to drink that wine. <laughs> we'll get some after hours cheese, man, once we hit it, hit end. But if you want to learn more about Erica, go to com. You can find her at theericacruz on Instagram, at theericacruz on TikTok, and theericacruz on LinkedIn. So theericacruz on all of the things.
1: Yes. And then at Courage Driven Latina, if you're interested in learning about um, the group program, and right now we're taking people on the wait list because we usually, when we open doors, we open a week early for the wait list. So they could, it usually sells out. So that way they get a chance to get a spot.
0: Why well, I'm finally, I'm happy. We finally got able to do this. Me too. Wait, I'm glad we were finally able to do this. I don't know. Me what too. I, actually said. <laughs> I think you threw the word wide in there, which
1: I thought was perfect. <laughs>
0: you know, Freudian slip. Apparently that's just always on my mind. I'm really, really excited. And I can't wait to see like what you continue to do. And is purpose-driven Latina is your podcast name as well. Or first, Chingona, revolution. La- Chingona revolution, your podcast as well. Sorry. I want to yeah. make sure we, we shared that as well. Yeah. I always forget to tell people, but I don't know why, like no, I, I got recorded you. every week.
1: Thank I you. Got you. <laughs> So That's actually my gente, bio needs to be. Oh,
0: yeah, so sorry. Yeah, you need to put, no, no, finish. I was just going to say, yeah, I
1: need to add that to my bio because we yes. sent that bio months ago before the change was even made. So yeah, I definitely need, need to add podcast host. This was so much fun. This was much needed. I'm going to go take a
0: bath after this. <laughs> Good. Until next time, they go check her out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Chismet podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine & Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at thewineandchisme on Instagram and Instagram at the wine and chisme podcast on facebook remember if you want to hear more wine and chisme please subscribe rate and review five star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more until next time saludos